In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. We're back with another podcast. It's just me. So, yeah, if you don't like me, just skip on. Ian and Paul, no doubt, we'll be back next show. No, only joking. Um, we're going to wrap up the defensive tackle room today. We're just going to combine day two and day three, get it all out in one go, because we did Barmore yesterday. I just, I cannot see a, really a route that they take another defensive tackle. I'm fully on board with this. There's going to be four on the roster. We've hit our four. And, and I think one of the reasons they might have gone out and went and got Jackson is because they're just not that convinced that they like anyone in the draft. Um, obviously, Barmore's a fantastic talent, but do you want to use that pick at 26 and will he be there? And then anywhere else, yeah, just I just can't see a route. But there's a few interesting guys that I want to focus on. So... If they do draft someone, it's going to be a one-tech. So if you're looking at a player out there, you're like, oh, I like this player for the Browns, and they're under 300 pounds, that dude's too skinny. So forget about them. It's just not going to happen. I cannot see a route where they take a three-tech because they're not going to carry four three-techs and one one-tech on the roster. It just doesn't make sense. So put that one at the back of your mind. And that's why I want to touch on Alim McNeil first. He's 320 pounds. Big dude. Um, plays obviously the one tech. Um, can do a little bit of nose if you wanted. But he can rush the passer. So his PFF comp is Javon Hargrave. Good dude. Um, plays well. Um, but he, he just gets stuff moving. So despite being a big guy, um, he just he gets that job done. And Eric Eager from PFF wrote an interesting piece on have they been sort of misjudging um, these big dudes in the middle and undervaluing them. And it was a really interesting piece and worth going and digging out. Um, it was earlier in this offseason. And he basically said, look, if, if you can clog up the run and the four dudes along the front are doing that much damage, that it forces a team um, to do different things and bend to your will and also... It allows you to drop all seven into coverage. That has actually has real, real value because if you have to commit five or six to keeping an eye on the run and everything else, that leaves you potentially only with five guys in coverage. If you can have seven guys in coverage, that gives you a really, really strong position. So Lynn McNeil is certainly someone there. And who knows? They could be looking at and going, actually, we're, we're light at one tech, if only got billions on the roster, Alim McNeil could be their guy. You'd have to probably get him quite high. So th there's a real mix on his rankings. If you go to Pro Football Network, it's 52nd. You go to the mock draft database, he's predicted 73. You go to the draft network, he's predicted 106. PFF is obviously not predicting where players go, but they value him at 47. So it's a, it's a real mixed bag. 
Waker game. You're probably looking at him. If you want to grab him, you're probably going to need to use that 59th pick on him. I can't see him being there all the way at 80, uh, 89, 91. So I, I just think it's one where it's probably going to come quite too high for them and too rich. Um, just jumping over to someone. Ian likes OSU guy, um, and that's Tommy Toga. Togiai, butchered his name, no doubt, but stout old school type defensive tackle, um, really strong. Is is a it's a dude that he likes and he, he thinks can add a real value. Overall, he's not that impressed with the class, but only played seven games as a starter under his belt. Tommy, um, but was impressive in them. Averaged three pressures a game this past season, um, and took over in the run game in the playoffs. Obviously, Ohio State, so lots of you will know about him. Um, across 371 interior defenders for PFF, he ranked 13th. So really, really good performance from him. Not loads of snaps. We've seen in 2018, 121. 2019, 247. And 2020, 291 snaps. Um, but there's the danger of, is he more of a three-tech? Um, and if he is a three tech, then there's not really that spot on the roster. So, um, unless they're going to fatten him up a little bit and move him to one, I just I can't see it. And and that's I think some of this it just comes back to of lots of people they do their mock drafts and they don't really bother looking at the roster, which seems a really weird thing to say, but it happens far too much of people are thinking yeah this is the old browns from three four years ago you just take the best player or the player you most like well there's no point drafting a guy in say the third round who's probably then not going to make your roster or you're going to have to push off a, a third round pick from last year in jordan elliott to get that done so for me it just doesn't match up so i i think barmore has a shot Maybe they go for a Lynn McNeil. And then lots of people are saying, hey, why, why don't you draft someone in the fifth, sixth, seventh round? And then you can try sneak them onto the practice squad. Quite frankly, another team's just going to pick that guy up and give him a shot. And then the other way of looking at it is like, well, rather than take a fifth round pick this year, it's probably not going to make the roster because of cut downs. And you might not be able to sneak on the practice squad. Trade that trade out and get a fourth round pick for next year. And would you rather have a guy you're trying to sneak on the practice squad? And these teams know what's going on. They're going to be eyeing up the Browns roster, especially as sort of the interior of the offensive line for gems that they can pick up when we start waving guys. They might trade some people before that, but why not have a fourth round pick for next year? And look, if, if you then sat there next year and you don't like the, four, the guys on the fourth round, trade it back again have a third round pick in 2023 and it's, it's that question of they're not going to be wasteful with these draft assets they're in a much better position to just push them back and go at it again so I don't think they take a defensive tackle um, another one that Ian said might be worth a shot is this Davion Nixon don't have an age for him yet but Set the house on fire, seven pressures against Purdue, then 10 stops against Northwestern. 
tape towards the end of the year didn't come close to matching that effectiveness, however. So it's one that PFF likes. Um, got him rated 114th, um, which is a lot lower than you've got for um, the other people, their boards. So it's certainly one to keep an eye on and see what happens there. Um, it, it's one, I just, I, I, I can't see it happening, guys. So I would say stop drafting defensive tackles. If you want to make the bold, bold move, and it is a bold move, but I've, I've got nothing wrong with bold moves, go for Barmore. Um, but I, I'm going to be stunned if they go for the fifth defensive tackle on the roster. Because if you're going down to four edge, we're going to be leading. I know that's a crazy, crazy thing for the Browns to be saying. We're going to be leading in games. And why do you need an extra fat dude to slow down the run when we're going to be up 21 to 3? 21 to 7. I'm not worried about the run then. They can run all day. They run and then we'll score some more points. We're going to be passing the football. We're going to be bracking up, up on teams. I'm not worried about making our pass rush worse to put more fat dudes in the middle. So that that's sort of where I'm going to stand here. It's like I'm, I'm going to be pretty brutal and just cut a load of the legs out from these dudes and just be like, nah, not happening. So it's one that I would say stop drafting. Just ignore them. Pretend it's a position we don't need. So far more intriguing, I think, is certainly... When they would go, I, I would say there's probably about as much chance as they get Barmore as they get anyone else in this class. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think so. And certainly if you're looking at them, they've got to be 300-pound plus. They've got to be able to play the one technique. They're not going to draft a three technique. Now what will probably happen is they'll draft a three technique um, about the third round, and then you'll all be coming at me saying, oh, <laughs> you got it wrong. And maybe I will. But I just feel like this isn't the year. Um, the move from Malik Jackson was a sign that they didn't love the draft class, um, which isn't a surprise. All we've heard all offseason is this is an awful year for the interior defensive line. And that matches up to an idea that you don't go draft someone in the interior defensive line. That's not where the talent and value is. Um, so why not? Let, let's focus on these DBs. Let's focus on wide receivers. Let's focus on edge, which is going to be an intriguing chat when we get to it. Um, I'm not quite sure which one we'll hit on next. Um, just with sort of the clowny stuff in the up in the air for edge. The probably fact they sign an outside corner. That's why I'm more tempted to potentially start on safeties next. Um, but I'm going to have a chat with the boys. We'll see what we fancy tomorrow when we're coming to you. But overall, I just want to say a massive thank you for everyone that's been listening. Um, if there's any particular players you want us to cover, then by all means, let us know. If you're going to ask us to cover someone that's going to be gone in the first 10 picks of the draft, we're not going to do it. Um, I know people fall. We're just going to play with the board as it stands. But one other thing I want to touch on, and that's Anthony Walker's contract, which came out today. Um so how it's structured, it's got two void years on the back of it. So the base salary is just a million, flat, one mil. Then he's got a signing bonus of 
7.45 million spread out over the three years because of the void years. Um, and then we've got per game roster bonus of 255,000. So he gets that, the split of that based on each of the games he plays. So the way the final cap number works out, and it's 3 million, is 1.836.666 in 2021. And then despite him not being on the roster in 2022, we've got a cap hit of 1.163334. And that's because of the two years void money signing bonus. All catches up next year. Obviously, there's a chance, hey, they re-sign him and that money pushes back a little bit further. But I, I think as long as Jordan Phillips plays well, Anthony Walker's not going to be on the roster. But at the end of the day, three million for that. Why not? Um, it's half a million in pro bowl incentive that he ain't going to get. Um, and someone asked me, how how does that work out on the difference between likely to be earned incentives and unlikely to be earned incentives? So the way it factors, if someone achieved the incentive last year, so say Tom Brady's got a Super Bowl incentive or um, who won the MVP in the end? It's already gone off my head, but like the year Patrick Mahomes won MVP. If he'd have had that as an incentive in his contract the following year, then he gets that incentive it has to count against the cap next year so say tom brady's got one million incentive if he wins the super bowl that would be deemed a likely to be earned incentive not because it's over 50 percent chance that he wins the super bowl this year it's because he achieved that last year and so you count it against the cap if it's an unlikely to be earned incentive then at the end of the year the legal just do an adjustment process anything through so it all works off of what you achieved last year and it's just the way it factors out. So um, they don't need to account for that half a million in Pro Bowl incentives on the salary cap. And quite frankly, it ain't going to do it. And it's, it's going to be one of them weird ones. I don't get why players get it tied to them. Because if you're a smart fan base, you don't want to vote ever vote for Anthony Walker to get that extra half a million. Because you're actively losing your team cap space and the opportunity to sign other free agents and keep their own players and I don't like the way the Pro Bowl is it's, it's like a bad version of a, some TV game show where you, you vote for who you want um, rather than sort of supporting the talent and players that play well so it's one that yeah I get why people do it but there, there's better things to tie your success to it'd be better going playoffs or something else and he plays X amount of snaps um, but no it's one that's there. We, the last deal we're waiting for on is Malik Jackson, um, which still hasn't been released, but we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, just in terms of where the Browns are cap-wise, they're still in a really good position because obviously everything we've seen from these deals, backloaded, money's into the future. They've been well done. Lots of people crediting Andrew Berry for using void years. It's just farcical. You don't congratulate people to the shopping on a credit card um, or taking out a bank loan to buy something. Um, and this should be no different. Um, so Anthony Walker, that drops into the deal. We're looking at about 13 million left in cap space. Let's say 3 million from Malik Jackson. We haven't seen how it's structured yet. But 10 million in cap space, we're in a really, really healthy position. Obviously, there's some money spent in 2022. But we're not in a bad spot due to that. So that will all be fine. 
no issues signing Clowney. Mary Kay wrote a piece talking about 6.25 million. Um, it made it sound like she was saying with incentives already included in that. I don't think that'd be the case. I think if you did 6.5 million and then say one and a half million in per game incentives, um, that gets you to eight and then do 1 million for playoffs and 1 million in sack incentives. Um, I would say it's half a million if you make the playoffs, half a million if you're in the Super Bowl, um, and then a million based on different sack numbers. I reckon that's a, a realistic way they could do a six and a half million base and then get a deal up to 10 if the Browns win the Super Bowl. And quite frankly, if the Browns win the Super Bowl, I don't think anyone's going to be moaning that they spent 10 million on Clowney. So, um, no, that's just one to keep an eye on. Um, I certainly think he is going to be a Cleveland Brown. If you're into all this, who followed what on social media? Did sneaky little follow of OBJ on Insta. So keep an eye on that one. Uh, it just makes too much sense to me. Jadavion Clowney will be a Cleveland Brown. And then as soon as that happens, be on to drafting for the edge room. All the best as always, guys. Any questions come up, hit me up at Jack Duffin, D-U-F-F-I-N on Twitter. DMs are open. Any cap contract questions, here to answer. Have a good evening. Go Browns.